There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. back on. Sosa would love a freestyle. He would love a classic turn of the century <laughs> New York style freestyle battle. Sosa might get scared. I think he's going to get scared. He's going to be like, all right, I'll <laughs> Who we got joining us tonight? Man, we got my main man, Rob. Rob, for it. Seattle Rams. What's up, man? What's good? What's going on, boys? What's happening? Sorry, my lovely singing voice is, is uh, a little stressed today because I was doing a lot of Who's House yesterday. As you should <laughs> Leading the pack. Uh, you know, we had a few uh, we had a few Eagles friends in attendance, and they kept singing that stupid Fly Eagles Fly song. And uh, I was sitting there thinking, you know what? Every time the Rams score, you know, they score a lot this year. Why aren't, why aren't they playing Ramit? We don't really have a, we don't really have a song, right? There's no there's no official Ram song. They just need to start jamming that ramen on the, uh, on the over the you Coliseum. Know, you know, yeah. one of my friends pointed out to me when the Rams were uh, in St. Louis and they was having their Governor's Cup battle with the Chiefs every year um, where he's from Kansas City and he goes, you know what <laughs> makes the Rams whack? I'm like, okay, what? He goes, you guys, you guys are the only team in the NFL that don't have something during a game. I said, what you mean? He was like, well, when the Chiefs get a first down, it's like everybody get a tomahawk chalk, and it's like a first down. You know, or you have like the Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And then he kept going down the line. I was just like, you know what? You kind of got a point. <laughs> the yeah. Rams don't have anything. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I never really thought about it until I was sitting there yesterday. And uh, I had uh, two dudes from Philadelphia sitting behind me. I had my daughter sit next to me as an Eagles fan. We wouldn't have been going to that. And then I had uh, I had four four ladies sitting next to me who were who were Eagles fans. And all these people flew up from Philadelphia, and, uh, and they were just they were just six of about now twenty five thousand. 
And they kept singing that damn song. I, and I was thinking, we need a song. Why aren't we playing Rambo or something? something. <laughs> we need something. We need a song, need a this. gesture, a, a quote, something. Damn, it's, I mean, it's sad. It's not an expansion team. This team has been around forever, and there's no song. I don't, I don't get true. it. I don't get it. But that's, uh, that's the least so, of their worries, right? Yeah. So before we dive in, I'm about to give Joe the chance to judge me. Okay, I know he's going to love this opportunity. So I have just been exposed to Pinterest. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that is I'm not where I saw this podcast going. Okay. Like 30 <laughs> minutes before the show started, I was exposed <laughs> to Pinterest. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I can tell right now that I'm going to be like up all night building boards. <laughs> <laughs> it took me like a couple hours to figure out what it is. I didn't even figure it out. I had to get it explained to me. But <laughs> yeah, sure. I had I had to figure out how it all worked. But now that I know, I'm about to be making boards all night. Pinterest is about to take over my life. Damn it! Everybody, go follow Mike <laughs> on Pinterest. <clears throat> Subscribe to his tea board. He's gonna have all his favorite tea flavors. Hey, that's a he good idea. I didn't even think of the teas yet. My account. I didn't even think of the tea yet. Good looking, Joe, man. Way to put that out there. I know. We were talking about Ramit, and I, I'm, I'm still confused as to why they haven't remade it yet. The one thing that now it's almost too perfect is, and I know you would be uh, – Rob, you would lose your pants at the first time you heard this would be Cooper Cup coming on a Ramit remix and saying, I'm a mountain man from WIE. And you would, you, your head would explode. I know it would. Uh, yeah, I would probably, uh, I would probably have that, my ringtone or something. Every time someone called me, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be Cooper Cup singing his version of Ramit. <laughs> that would be, that would be, uh, that would be all it needs for you to be covered in your own happy yep. juices. <laughs> His own pomegranate tea. That's exactly right. <laughs> so with this, with yesterday's game, you know, uh, Rob, you already kind of touched on it a little bit. The, the disparity in the fans, you know, they mentioned it with the uh, Chargers game um, a few weeks ago, how there were so many uh, – Eagles fans there that was it was a bit surprising was it like was it really because the stadium looked more packed than it had looked all year for really to be perfectly honest yeah so how crazy was it as far as the uh, Eagles fans I know you say you were surrounded by but was it really was it really that yeah. many there or was it just a game where LA fans was yeah. like oh this is a big game and they kind of came out no no I mean there was some of that so uh, we, sh- we showed up uh, for a 125 start I got there about 10 a.m. Uh, had some things I wanted to do as far as tailgate and meet some people and you know, talk to old friends, whatever. And uh, surrounding the Coliseum, they've got a number of these big dirt, just dirt parking lots that they they, uh, they rent out for tailgates and spots. And there were massive Eagle t- fans all over the, every tailgate I went to. I so I went to three lots and it was just there was, you know, it was more Rams fan, but it was a noticeable. There were noticeable Eagle pockets, and that was at 10 a.m. And people are just pouring and pouring in. So I'm like, well, there's, there's a pretty good little base here today. I was, I expected a lot, but I was, I was kind of surprised. But when you get inside, um, we, my, 
we went in a little early to kind of watch warm-ups and just kind of get set. And I noticed that uh, um, I was sitting in the, behind the pylon by the, by the tunnel where the players come out, so on the Rams side, kind of in the back pylon there. Um, I was right next to the rail where the, uh, where the tunnel is. And the opposite side of the field where the visitors was, I'm, I'm just seeing this, this lots of green. What? It, it, it was, it was, there was probably 25,000, 30,000 Eagles fans there. No joke. Down at the bottom of the end zone where the melon heads are for the Rams uh, supporters, they were they had their little pocket there, but all around them it was all all Eagles fans, and especially over on the Eagles sideline and that like opposite pylon from that was. That's where I only saw the video where uh, a lot of the players jumped into the stands, and Joe <laughs> Chris Long got pushed back out, and, and they had a little fracas over there. But uh, it was because there was a huge Eagles contingent over there. Now there's you know Rams fans all over the place as well, but they were they were a lot. They were in force and they were loud. Um, but to be honest, uh, I thought. I thought the LA fans kind of stepped it up, especially after that block punt that gave them the lead. Yeah. Right after they had scored, forced the forced the punt, blocked the punt, and put it right back in them. That happened right right in front of me, and uh, that place was just as loud as I have heard in you know any other sporting event I've gone to. Maybe not just as loud, but it was pretty good. You know, it's, it's hard to compete with what they do up here at the Clink in Seattle. That place is ridiculous. But uh, yeah. as far as just you know, big sporting event, hometown, getting into it. Um, Eagles fans got really quiet, and that place was – it was juiced. It was just – I'll tell you what that game felt like as far as, like, a fan perspective and, and attendance. It felt like a good college bowl game. You go there, there are two huge pockets of uh, fans for both teams. For the most part, it was good-natured. Like, I was giving the guys a hard, hard time behind me. They were doing it back and forth. There was nothing mean. Um, you know, we both wanted our side to win, and when something happened good for either side, uh, the fans were loud. Uh, it, it felt like a college bowl game is what I, it felt like to me. And you know, appropriate in you know, a big bowl setting, setting that uh, you know, half the fans were about two miles away. But it, it, it was a good atmosphere. Sure. It was fun, and they were loud, and uh, it, you know, it, it was a good game. Good game to go to. Yeah, it was definitely a good game. I think, it, uh, I think for the most part it lived up to expectations of um, what everyone was kind of expecting, you know, go back four or five weeks ago when the two teams are, like, really flying high and, you know, building all this momentum. Now this game is something that everyone looked forward to. I think it lived up to it, whether you were on the winning end or the losing end. I think it's hard to say that it didn't live up to those expectations. However, let's talk about that losing end, why don't we? <laughs> what do we all think of Sean McVay's play calling? Now, this is something I know that I've been harping on for a few weeks now. Win or lose didn't really matter to me. I'm just gonna call a spade a spade. I haven't really liked it, you know. Uh, it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been up to par in my eyes. Uh, I think he's he's kind of becoming he's starting to become that one dimensional coach, you know, where he gets away from the run so easily, and it's it's really noticeable. No matter how good it's doing, you know, even if it's not doing good, you still have to force the defense to respect it, um, which he he hasn't been doing quite as much over the last four or five weeks now. Um, Joe, what did you think of play calling? I mean, the, the, uh, interestingly enough, in the last three minutes, Rich Hammond has been tweeting uh, some of his comments, McVeigh's comments on the media press that's going on right now. Um, I'll have the transcript on the site as soon as I can where he talks about it. I mean, it's frustrating, right? You got somebody as versatile and as talented as Todd Gurley to get into this, you know, vein of pushing the ball downfield. And it's not as if the Rams don't have talented receivers. It's not as if the passing game is incredible. It's just that when Todd's having one of those games and it's the biggest stage, you kind of want to let him be him, right? 
and, and you, you know, it, it's not that there's anything wrong with the other components, but you kind of want to lean into Todd. And I guess it's one of those things where we're going to have to see, you know, the, this got exposed. What was it? It was a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? I think it was the Minnesota game when people really started talking about, and obviously losses are going to magnify these things a little bit bigger right. where we started talking about the idea that, okay, we got to run the ball more. And McVeigh talked about it. And then, you know, you play the new Orleans game, you get off the run a little bit, but you win. And all of a sudden nobody really cares, right? Oh no, it's fine to I pass care. the ball. Just pass it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that if it matters in a loss, it should matter in a win too, because the context remains the same regardless of the outcome. And I think the outcome yesterday is shining a light on this again, that we're going to have to see moving forward. Is this something that McVeigh is serious about modifying or is this just something that either instinctually or just, you know, in terms of his football philosophy, that he leans into the pass as his go-to way of developing some space throughout the defense to attack? And if that's the case, you know, maybe this isn't something that's going to change. We've got to get used to. But given the comments that he put out today and what's hitting Twitter, um, it sounds like it's something he wants to try to rectify. We'll have to see moving forward if it's something we actually quote-unquote fix. For me personally, like my complaints with the uh, the lack of the lack of the use of the run, it started with the Texans game. Um, if we all remember, yeah. early he he was really he was really moving the ball, you know, in that Texans game, and it, it, he looked really good. I think uh, he had eleven carries though, uh, if I remember correctly, and those eleven carries, you know, went for almost seventy yards or something like that. You know, so he was just it was it was easy for him in that game, and it was really similar to the way it was yesterday. Although I think yesterday was his best game by far, like not even close as far as running the ball goes. Like he was not getting tackled on the first try at all. You know, so the line was killing here, it in the run game. The line killing was killing it, it. They were definitely killing it, but it was also what he was doing when he got to that second and third level, making yeah. guys miss the way yeah. he was setting blocks up. Like I saw him set up like yeah. four or five blocks, where I was just like, wow, I've never seen Gurley look like that before. You know, like as a running really, back, right? Really, really, exactly. He was really, really almost um, growing as a player. Like you could really see him starting to evolve and mature as a runner. And uh, yeah. when you see a guy moving like that, and it's just it's unstoppable. You're not supposed to get away from it. You know, uh, whatever your game plan is, it's supposed to immediately change. <laughs> you know, until they prove they can stop it, which they didn't show at any point in the game. So, Rob, what did you think of the uh, play caller? I, I agree with you, and you, all of us in the stands uh, were wondering the same thing. I, it's almost like we have the second coming of Mike March without the ego. You know, the first thing right. he does yeah. when he gets to, in front of a microphone is he takes ownership of whatever went wrong and then gives us the, the praise to his players. So, it's, hey, yeah. you know, we should up here. I got to get better at that, but these guys did this. Whereas Mike March was, was not kind of like, hey, it was like, you know, we'll just get fixed and whatever. But he, as far as the play caller goes, they were both – get lost with really good backs. You know, Marshall Falk at times, go to the Super Bowl, they lost to the, to, uh, uh, the Patriots. He refused to run the ball. It was just, it's just I'm just going to do it, and that's what I do. He just gets lost with it. Um, and that's almost what McVeigh has going on sometimes. It's like, you know what, we're doing this, and we're going to go that way. And, uh, you know, it takes him about a quarter to come back to him and go, oh, yeah, we got this, we got this guy leading the league in, in yards from scrimmage. Maybe we should use him more. Uh, it's, it's sometimes it's baffling. And then I also noticed yesterday that deep shot he took to Sammy Watkins, and I don't remember if it was on first or second down, but it was right after they were down, I think it was 21-7, 24, whatever it was. He comes back and takes the deep shot, and I've kind of noticed that throughout the years. 
He wants to get it all back in one bite. All right, let's, let's take a yeah. shot. I don't mind taking a quick shot, whatever. But when you've got Todd Gurley, you know, clipping things off at, you know, eight yards of carry, you don't have to take the deep shot. Why don't you just keep that – once you keep that offense that's been kicking your butt the entire first half on the sideline, let's, let, let's run Todd a little bit and use some, use some clock. Um, I, I, that's, that's a spot I think we've all mentioned that uh, he's got to get better at. And so far, you know, he's, the things he's had to get better at, he's mentioned that he's improved on. His timeout usage during the year was atrocious. I was uh, looking late. I had to turn around behind me and look at the scoreboard to see how many timeouts we had late in the fourth after, uh, you know, we lost the lead. And I thought, all right, what's, what's the deal here? What do we have? One, two, oh, we have three. Excellent. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's improved in that part of his game. So I, I think if he's cognizant of it, I think he will try to make an effort that way. But I still think, you know, his, his offense is, uh, let's, let's attack and let's go do it through the, through the air. It's, you know, he's the quarterback whisperer. He's not the running back whisperer. Um, I'd like to yeah. see him do it a little more, but I think that's kind of who he is, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the interesting thing about it is you, 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 you mentioned that he, that, that he doesn't have the ego, but essentially isn't that having an ego when you, you see that it's something's working, but you're like, but this is what I want to do. So you just do it anyway. You know, that's, that's ego. Now he doesn't, he doesn't uh, vocalize those, that ego, you know, he doesn't uh, bl- uh, point the finger for blame on the players or anything like that, like you mentioned, but his actions are 100% reflecting of that ego, which every, every head coach has an ego. It, well, not every, the best head coaches in history have, have figured out a way to put their ego to the side and just do whatever they have to do to win. You, you know, they don't really have a game plan that they go to week to week. They do whatever the defense is going to give them. You know, uh, the, the the guy most famous for that that you hear about the most is obviously Bill Belichick. He doesn't really give a damn about how he beats you. He just wants to beat you. <laughs> you know, whereas yeah. you have other guys who say, well, I want to do it this way. I want. I have to do it this way. And Sean McVay is that I want to. I want to beat you through the air. So it's like, it's like, how do you? How do you? You know, especially as a rookie, how do you get that mind frame to change for someone so young and learning on the go? And I think that's kind of where it is right now. But the run game is uh, something that's getting too far away from far too often. And speaking of which, when you have those certain situations where you really need it. Like when Rob Havenstein goes down, <laughs> and you you come out <laughs> and you pass, um, that that is the result <laughs> ultimately. Um, and you know you had you had uh, uh, Andrew Whitworth that was down for a little bit, so the Rams are a little banged up right now. So they they're, they have themselves a couple of injuries uh, now. They did now. Uh, Sean McVay has already said that. The expectation is for Andrew Whitworth, Robert Woods, and Connor Barwin all to play. Um, don't really know what's up with um, Rob Havenstein, but it, lo- it looks like they're going to have some key players uh, back for Week 15 against the Seahawks. Joe, what are you, what are you thinking about the injuries and how they're impacting the, the Rams? Like it's, they've been healthy, and now it's at that point where yeah. we, you know we talked about this a few weeks ago. Yeah, you, it's good to be healthy, but if you're going to get hurt, you would much rather it be early in the year to where you can get out the way and the player can come back as opposed to later in the year, which is kind of where they are now. What are, you, what are you thinking about some of these injuries? Yeah, I mean, it was an injury-filled game. Nobody, obviously, is dealing with that more than the Eagles who just lost Carson Wentz. You know, I think right. the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, losing Kayvon Webster, we're going to have to see how they rotate cornerbacks, uh, only because Nicole Roby Coleman has been so successful in the slot if you push him outside, you risk, you know, Q 
killing two birds with one stone, but kind of the opposite, resuscitating two dead birds, right? Where now if Nikhil Roby Coleman goes outside and he struggles there, you got to fill the slot position too. So it's almost one of those things where maybe what you want to do is try to fill the outside with like a Troy Hill or see what you can do in terms of the depth at cornerback to fill in for Kayvon Webster. What's, what's interesting about the, the nature of the play calling and the, the, uh, the injuries and the way they affected things on Sunday was – you know, this was the biggest game of the year, and we knew it coming in. And we kind of looked and said, okay, we need to get big performances. Todd Gurley, you got to lead this team. We need a big performance from you. And we got one. You look at Andrew Whitworth, we need a big performance. as Andrew Whitworth. He played his ass. You look at Cooper Cup. He had, a, he had, what, his coming out game? I don't know if he needs a coming out game because he's Cooper Cup. But he had a, he had a big game, right? 100-something <laughs> yards yeah. and a touchdown. He had a huge game. Back to back. Then he had Sammy Watkins, right? Sammy Watkins had seven yeah. targets, hit three catches for 21 yards. And at, and I know we've talked about the trade, and I don't want to belabor that, but it's one of those things in the absence of Robert Woods. If you, you, it, it, there's a thin line between what you were talking about with ego, between, between hubris and, like, confidence, right? If, if Sean McVay goes to his team and says, guys, I have the confidence in you to execute this stuff so that we don't have to run and we can be more successful doing this, I believe in you, and it works and you win the game, nobody's saying, <clears throat> excuse me, nobody's saying, oh, you got away from the run or we have play calling issues because it worked. I think the biggest problem was that when, when the Rams needed the passing game to really click and they looked towards Sammy Watkins more than anybody, it just wasn't happening. And so <clears throat> my bad, see, this is God cursing me for talking ill with Sammy Watkins. It's one of those things where moving <laughs> forward, I get it that Robert Woods is coming back and we need him. You, you got to have Robert Woods come to be that guy only because Sammy Watkins just hasn't been the, the kind of Sammy Watkins that I think we were all hoping, and yesterday on the biggest stage we, with we the all? biggest opportunity. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things. I think even if you didn't think it would happen, sure, you had to be hoping. You had to be hoping Kayvon Webster got the pick six, even if you didn't think it was happening. Come on, Mike. But it, it, nah. it, here's, the, here's the bottom line, right? Three, three for yeah. 21 on seven targets, regardless of why, especially in a game where Robert Woods isn't there, that ain't going to cut it, man. And that's – that's maybe more than anything. I don't know if that's a condemnation of Sean McVay's play calling or if it's just the nature of the connection between the two that has seemed off all season or if it's something indicative of Sammy Watkins not fitting in this offense. But, but if they had made a play that, that you know, had justified the play calling, it, it, we might be talking about this in a completely different way, that instead of – you know, getting away from Todd Gurley, we'd be saying, man, feed Sammy Watkins, right? He's making plays, and he's making this pass-first offense really quick. But we're not saying that because it just didn't happen, and I think maybe that's something that I'm stuck with. More so than the play calling itself, as frustrating as it was to get away from the run, was that we got away from the run without any real benefit, and I think part of that was on Sammy Watkins. You know the play he should have made? The play that ended up – Winning the game for the Eagles uh, on the Chris Long strip sack. Yeah. Sammy Watkins, if you go back and watch that, was running free to the post. Jerry Graff is holding the ball too long to his left. He's looking to make a quick outlet or whatever. Instead of, you know, Sammy Watkins, if you go back and watch it, he's he's running free. Just throw him out there like they did, uh, what was it, the Giants game? They just hit him that 65 yeah. yarder. I'm going to say same exact thing. He has got a guy by about five yards running free. Yeah. Goff is looking to his right, not looking down. And, uh, you know, I, I think that goes back to some of those chemistry things. You know, it's getting a little better, yeah. but it seems like he's only looking to Sammy 
around the goal line. We're going to do that quick slant for the touchdown like they did uh, in this game, and they did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but he's not looking to him for his uh, – as the number one receiver he needs to on other, other parts of the field. Here's my issue, and I, I think I've touched on this before, is that Sammy doesn't necessarily always go as hard as he can. And I loved sure. – I loved uh, Jared Goff's response when the media asked him if he was going to start looking at Sammy more when Sammy, you know, was complaining about not getting the ball and stuff. And Goff was just kind of like, no, (laughs) you know, like he was like, no, why would I, you know, I'm going to play my game and I'm going to do, do what's been working. Like, why would I start trying to force the ball to him? And I, I love that approach, you know, and the reason I loved it is because you have Sammy Watkins who, yeah, he's got some talent, but, Sammy Watkins, as I've said repeatedly, has never been this quote-unquote elite receiver that everyone, you know, wants to paint him to be. Uh, that's never been who he is, you know. Uh, yeah, there's talent, but you can say that about anyone. Tavon Austin has talent, <laughs> you know. So if, you, if you're going to say that about Sammy, you might as well say that about everyone. Um, but the fact, that, the fact of the matter is potential isn't really what gets – potential is what gets coaches fired, <laughs> Okay. It's production yeah. where you can where you can take that potential and you can turn it into production that gets coaches extensions and gets players mm-hmm. extensions. But potential gets you fired because it doesn't get you anywhere. And that's that's kind of uh, Sammy Watkins. You know, he's gonna flash a lot, but he's really never been a dominant receiver. He's never dominated a season. Uh, he's never really taken over a season or have stretches where you know you look at Antonio Brown for example. He ha- he has stretches every year where he has four or five games where it's just like wow, look at the way he's playing, yeah. you know. Or you, Julio Jones, you have all these guys. Mike Evans, that's that's why I say that Mike Evans and guys like that are above Sammy Watkins because you've never seen those stretches out of Sammy Watkins. You just see flash plays every once in a while, and that's why Sammy Watkins is not that caliber receiver to me. Um, mm-hmm. So when he when he's crying for the ball and. You know, when you when he is out there, you see a lot of plays where he's half-assing it. You know, he's not even trying. He's just like, I don't give a shit. You know, like that's kind of his approach on so many plays. Not an all-the-time thing. This isn't every single time. But this does happen far too often where you see him quit on routes or he's half-assing the block or he never really comes off because he's expecting the ball to go somewhere else from the very beginning. Those things, those things play a role for a quarterback. You know, they when they see that, that makes you more hesitant. Like they're far, they've been together far too long to say, oh, they're still working on chemistry. There's been enough time now, you know. So he he got there a month before the season started, you know. So he's four months in, and you're telling me there's still no no <laughs> chemistry. Like there, there, there's more than enough time. If there's a, that means that there's an issue here. And so that's why I say the uh, Sammy Watkins, the Sammy Watkins trade. I, I I never really liked it. Uh, I never really expected it to pay off. Uh, of course, like Joe said, you hope that it do, but I didn't expect it to at all. And it's it's kind of just been it's been stuck in the mud for the most part up until this point. So we'll you know we'll see how it goes. Robert Woods is expected to be back. Uh, Sammy Watkins had three weeks to make a move and do something. He didn't do anything. So. And then and that, that was a bit, that was a big deal. He, this was his window, right? And I, I yeah. brought up these numbers just to kind of throw this out there. Sammy Watkins yards per game, real simple metric: sixty-one point four yards per game his rookie year, eighty and a half yards his second year. Obviously, a big breakout year in two thousand fifteen. Fifty-three point eight yards in Buffalo last year, 
He's down to 42.2 yards per game in the Rams offense, which is better than any of those Buffalo offenses have been. And so, you know, we've talked about the trade on here a lot, Myson, and, you know, I've always argued that part of the value of this trade was that he makes other guys better. The thing was this three-game window wasn't, wasn't the window to make other guys better. This was his chance, you know, an audition for the number one wide receiver role. And, and it's just one of those things where it's hard to look at Sammy Watkins, especially given the way that this period's gone without Robert Woods, and not think that he came up short. And I only brought that up because in relation to the play call, and I know we got to move on to the Seattle game, but it was one of those things that I think maybe colored the play calling in a different light because if he had made some of those plays, maybe we're not criticizing the play calling as much because of the outcome. And I think that's one of those areas that maybe uh, Sammy Watkins has kind of hurt the team. Yeah. So real quick, before we get to the Seahawks, here's my question to the both of you. Um, are the Rams ready for the playoffs after losing to the Vikings and the Eagles? They've played two legitimate playoff playoff teams, playoff caliber teams, and they've lost both times. Uh, is this kind of a, a, a sneak peek into the window that, yes, they're good enough to beat the teams they're supposed to beat, and they're good enough to beat some teams that are really good where it could go either way, i.e. the Saints? But when it comes down to those top-notch best teams, the guys who look like they could really be potential Super Bowl contenders, are they ready to? Are they ready for those battles? Do we think the Rams are ready for the playoffs? You know what, Rob? I want to hear your take on this. So I, I was thinking about this earlier today. Uh, I went back and made, made sure my numbers were up. Rams are three and three in games decided by one one score. Twenty-seven twenty Redskins, sixteen ten Seahawks. And then yesterday it was one score. I'm not counting that. You know, you can count on the scoreboard, but it was two point game until they, you know, tried that crazy flea flicker and it red pack Right. So that was a two point game, right? So I'm really looking at three and three in games uh, that they, you know, decided by one score. So uh, they've also beaten other playoff teams. You know, they've uh, they've taken care of the Jags. They took care of the Saints, and the Jags looked pretty darn good yesterday. Uh, from the from the stuff I I was able to catch up. Uh, Last night, they, you know, they look like they, you know, that defense is, is legit. Jalen Ramsey and those guys, uh, you would think that the sky is falling here in Seattle. So, yeah, I think they can, but it almost feels like they, you know, they're they're a couple of players away still. They're not a complete product. They're still they're still in that. They're not ready to ascend to the throne yet. Um, they'll, you know, hopefully they'll make the playoffs, and that shouldn't be a problem. And it's going to be a good experience for them. But they still do things that cost them wins that good teams don't. Tremaine Johnson, I don't care how big of a game it is, John, sure. John and back and forth, whatever, you can't take that penalty on third down, down by the goal line when they should be kicking a field goal and let them punch it in. Sansa Mabukum, you know, lay it hit out of bounds. It's, yep. I asked the guy next to me, I said, is Jeff Fisher on the sideline somewhere? Because it kind of felt like they started getting back to some of those old habits. I we, haven't seen, we haven't seen it all year until – a big, the biggest game of the year, crunch time. It felt like a big game, pregame. You could just see it. Um, I watched them before. Uh, they went back in the locker room before they did, did the, uh, the introductions, and they kind of got together as a team. And Alec did his, uh, who we, you know, we, all we got, all we need kind of thing. And they were hyped up. And they were jumping. They were dancing. They were into it. And then they got into the game. They're down. And it was an emotional game. There's a lot of that stuff going on. But sure. it came to crunch time when they needed to make a play and not do something dumb. They reverted the old, some of the old guys reverted the old form and I'm not, you know, you can't knock them because they're getting into it, but you got to be smarter than that. And you got to get yourself off that when you make a play to get off on third down, you can't have a flag bring you back. And it happened. It happened too many times. 
And so that's, that's where I see them still being, you know, a year away. They, 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 it feels like they just, they still have, they're not a complete product. And, uh, you know, when they make a deep run, anything could happen. But, uh, you know, I, some of these more experienced teams, uh, look at, look at what uh, the Panthers did to a very good Vikings team yesterday. Now, they did it at home, but uh, that was a good game. They, uh, they played hard. Um, that's a team that kind of worries me in NFC because they're tested. They're battle-tested. They're playoff-tested. And when it comes time to, to, to win the playoffs, that's a team that knows how to get it done. So are the Rams ready? I don't know. Um, they've shown they can play with these teams. They've done it all year. They, uh, they played without – other than the Vikings where they you know, got, got away from a little bit. They've uh, they've been in close games all year, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. I think they're I still think they're a year away. This is not a finished product. It's something they they're still going to build on, but we'll see. We'll see if they can if they can right the ship over the next three weeks. They got they got a tough Seattle team. They got another playoff team and the and the Titans ahead of them, and then they got Jimmy G, who's looking pretty good there in, in San Francisco. Uh, so they got three weeks and they got three tough games ahead of them. Yeah. Martin, let me, let me ask you this, man. I don't, I don't want to oversimplify things, but, you know, we talked about the idea that there, there was a window for Sammy Watkins. It felt like yesterday at the end of this game, there was a window for Jared Goff. He has yet to have, you know, a statement late game winning drive. I, don't, I think he has zero fourth quarter winning drives and, you know, no come from behind wins, that kind of thing. I, I believe that number's still zero on both of those. And, and, and right. the, the game had gone, you know, a little bit back and forth once we blocked that, you know, punt for a touchdown, took the lead, then Philadelphia scores, then we scored, then they got a field goal. It's 35 to 34. And, you know, we had scored on our first two possessions of the second half. Our last two possessions were the fumble, the Chris Long strip, and then you get the ball back, you know, Philadelphia goes and kicks a field goal, it's 37 to 35. There's three minutes, 45 seconds remaining. It's storybook shit, right? It really is. It was storybook ending right, right in front of us and the Rams go three and out. How, how much of that is on Jared Goff? Um, none. I can't put any of that on Jared Goff because of the way that it, the way that it happened. Had Jared Goff been making some terrible decisions or something like that, um, yeah, yeah, I could I could definitely point the finger at Jared Goff. But this wasn't on Jared Goff. Um, and he should have a comeback win on his belt, but we all know against yeah. the Seahawks how it ended. You know that Jared Goff was throwing lasers, and after that game, oh, whenever you have, whenever you have, uh, you have uh, Richard Sherman, the mouth yeah. of the defensive secondary in the NFL. You know, you look at all defensive backs. It's very hard to get Richard Sherman to respect you as a, as a quarterback. You have to really prove something to him. And after that game, he showed nothing but love to Goff. He said, "Hey, this kid is real." You know, and Earl Thomas backed him up. And yeah. so, so the, the best safety in the game, Earl Thomas. Exactly. About it. <laughs> you know, so so to have that to have that to have that type of praise come from those guys says a lot. And he he carved them up. You know, it was it was no yeah. secret about it. You know, so I, I, he definitely should have one, but he doesn't because of the drop. But uh, yesterday there wasn't there wasn't a, a way to blame him for this. You know. You go out there and you're you're throwing the ball, which I still think they should have. The thing about the play calling is not only is it that they're not running it enough, but they're trying to run the wrong type of plays. The best, the, the the highest level of success they've had this year has been pounding the ball in between the tackles, the middle, you know, or inside inside zone reads, you know, where 
where uh, Gurley gets it, gets it and he can read in between the guard uh, in between the two guards as opposed to the tackles where you get the temptation of hitting it outside. Let him read on the inside and get north to south. That's where he's had his greatest success, and that's where the line has really pushed guys back. Um, but for whatever reason, when Sean McVay does decide to run every once in a blue moon, he wants to try to pitch it. He wants to run all these stretch plays. You know, he's trying to get it to the outside too much where Gurley's biggest runs um, has really – his most consistent runs have been up the gut, you know, where you're constantly seeing him pop off 10 yards, 12 yards, 14 yards. That's where he's been doing that at, you know. He's been very consistent in the area. So when you see uh, your uh, right tackle go down and you don't think, you know what, I should probably – get these guys loose up because you know that they're pinning their ears back. You know they're hungry, get the games on the line. You know they're trying to come for you. And to go out there and start passing it and to to have him out there, you got Chris Long against Darrell Williams. Darrell Williams, honestly, realistically, let's let's keep it real, he probably shouldn't be on, let's let's say, 28 teams. (laughs) He probably shouldn't be on about 28 out of 32 teams' rosters. Like, he's a practice squad type player. He's He's not a, a true backup swing tackle, which is what the Rams are using him in. You know, so Darryl I can't really not put, awesome I can't, Yeah, I can't put that on. I can't put that on Jared Goff. Um, Jared Goff, I think, uh, was put in a situation that uh, he didn't even have the opportunity to make the best of that situation because the pressure was insane. You know, and not only was the pressure insane, but if you go back and you watch uh, that last drive. Your boy Sammy Watkins again wasn't really running. You know there was there was lack of effort to really get open. You know, and then when you see the quarterback's in trouble, then you start trying to run. But it's, at this point, it's too late. He's already been strip sacked. So sure. I can't put it on. I can't put it on uh, golf. You know, the last possession he only had what four seconds to go uh, seventy yards. <laughs> you know, so yeah. there's absolutely nothing you can do. Nothing you can do or say to convinced me that that's, that one's on golf. Uh, that's more so the position that he was put in, and there was really it was really a lose-lose all the way around. If that answers your Would question. You, let me answer that. Let me ask Rob, let me put it to you like this. How how long can golf go without having a statement drive like that before, before we should start asking? You know, you, you said the Rams aren't ready. At some point, that goes from the Rams aren't ready to Jared Goff isn't ready. Right, and nope, then exactly the question right. becomes, do what? I should say you're exactly right because in that game, yeah. in that situation, they're down thirty-seven, thirty-five. They get the ball back on, uh, I believe it's twenty-five. It was touchback, and so they're coming yeah. out. Look at the clock, and there's about three and a half left. And I thought to myself, here you go, Jared. This is this is your moment, big stage. It's time to go out here. You only need you know thirty-five yards. Let the let the leg finish this thing off. You've got three timeouts. Two minute warning and three minutes and forty five seconds on the clock. Didn't need a touchdown. March this thing down. No, march it down to the thirty five and let GZ finish it off. And everyone loves you. And I was, you know, I had thought of this down as well. He hasn't had a game winning drive yet. hasn't hasn't done it. hasn't brought him back. As Myson mentioned, it was close in the Seattle game. My boy Cup, you know, let him down. But you know, at the end of the day, the stat is still zero. So what do they do? And this this leads right in what Myson said. Uh, you know, we're talking about getting Gurley going, but what do they do? They run it to the right for a three-yard loss. Nigel Bradham destroyed that play. Uh, when they were having great success running to the left behind Whitworth and Saffold, 
Uh, the second down play, Goff has to scramble for his life. He ends up getting three yards out of it, but you know he was lucky to do that because you know, the pocket collapsed. He scored in the third middle and then just dove into the turf so he didn't get destroyed. And then the third down play was that, uh, that you know the, the Samuel Watkins uh, ball looked like it was a little high as well, but just it just wasn't there. It was completely disjointed and. At that point, it was when I kind of like looked at myself and thought, "All right, that <laughs> that was pretty telling. This team, aka Jared Goff, also isn't ready." But play calling, I think Mustn's right. Play calling as well. I mean, I'm not sure about that. I wasn't sure about trying to force Gurley to the right on that play, I mean, especially when you got haven't seen back on a gimpy leg and you got these guys just teed up ready to go. Um, I was almost looking for something. You know, let's get a draw or or screen game going. Help them out a little bit. Let's, let's just get this, get something easy going. You know they're going to come after you. Let's let's go misdirection. Let's try to throw the timing off and see if we can pop something. Because they've been very good at that all year. It just felt very, I don't know, the end of that game was, was a bit of a bummer for me. But at the end of the day, Goff's the guy with the ball in his hands at the end of the game. He's got to find a way to make a play. He does. And until it happens, it's, we're going to keep talking about it. Fact. And, you know, I'm, that's the perfect lead way to the Seahawks. Because if there's one person in the NFL that's been making plays, is Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell Wilson is my MVP this year, um, above Tom Brady. You know, I I never had Wentz as number one like a lot of the media had. I had Tom Brady, but Russell Wilson is – you just don't see human beings be able to do what he does week in and week out at the same exact level, at the same exact level no matter what. You know, um, he's he's literally carrying the team. Uh, They they pulled up the stat uh, last week talking about how he's – responsible for like 85% of the team's offensive yards and 97% of their touchdowns. What? <laughs> you know, so he, he's balling. And my question to you guys is, can the Rams stop Russell Wilson? Remind you, if we know anything about Russell Wilson, he's never the same quarterback in November, December as he is in September. He always gets better, which, which is one of the reasons I've always been a fan of Russell Wilson since he was with the Wolfpack in North Carolina State. He's a player that continuously gets better throughout the season and throughout the game. Uh, can the Rams contain Russell Wilson right now when, in my opinion, he's playing the best ball of his career? Uh, one of the guys up here said that uh, Russell Wilson has four types of kryptonite. Rain, which is odd for Seattle, grass, Clayus Campbell, and Aaron Donald. Those four things tend to <laughs> equalize Russell Wilson. Uh, so let's hope for rain and a lot of Aaron Donald on Sunday. But you're right. Uh, if you look at what his numbers are, uh, Russell Wilson has 482 yards rushing, which is 280 yards more than the next closest guy on that team. You know, your quarterback is your leading rusher. Uh, the next closest guy is Chris Carson has been hurt, but he's got 208 yards. Tamon Austin has 202. Yeah, so he's getting zero help. It's, it's Russell. It's the Russell show. And I have to agree with you. If they make the playoffs, how could you not give that guy the MVP? Because the guy's playing out of his mind. He's the king of the broken play. Um, on script, he's not nearly as good, and, uh, but he's outstanding. With that offensive line, any other quarterback who was not Russell Wilson it would be David Carr. They would be setting records for how broken they are. And the man continually makes plays. And he's, he's changed from what he was when he came in first league. When he first came in the league, he was, he was running the run. Now he runs the pass. He's, he's looking to get rid of the ball. He doesn't want to run anymore. He will. He'll extend it and, and you know, run to the sideline. and, and he'll, he'll push the boundary and you know, push the extra yard or whatever. But for the most part, he's looking to throw. Um, sometimes it comes back to bite him. A lot like 
Brett Favre, right? Brett would, would throw and make risky plays or whatever, and, and they'd pay off, but he'd also make some boneheaded ones. But the great thing about Favre was he made better, he made more more out of uh, his crazy plays than, he, than it cost him. And Russell Wilson's kind of doing the same thing. The guy, he's playing outstanding right now. And when you get that team uh, in that barn on a primetime game, it's, it's crazy. So the, the best news I heard all month was that NBC did not get to flex this Ram Seahawks game because when you get that team on primetime and in that place, uh, it's impossible because crazy things happen and that guy makes bigger plays than anybody in the game. He, he's exciting, and I don't, I don't know uh, what you can do to stop him unless you got the Rams, who, when they were terrible, still did good things against this team. So uh, I respect those guys, but I expect, I expect us to come up here and be very competitive and, and get this thing Get this thing, get this thing done, especially with those two linebackers who are who are injured for the Seahawks. I'll throw another angle of kryptonite towards Russell Wilson. He's that corny, and I know, Myson, we talked about how much I don't like Russell Wilson because he is a cornball. <laughs> I guarantee you, that dude has some weird like hobbies and interests. Like I get, like I'm 99.9 percent sure Russell Wilson fucks with Imagine Dragons. Like if you put on, you know, just whatever the newest thing. I like the, I like the sound of this. I like this tune. What is this called? The Thunder. This is a great song. I really like it. He sounds like a guy would have a Pinterest page about teas. Hey, I like. Hey, hey, I've got to hey, find this Pinterest with Masoni. Masoni, <laughs> teach me Pinterest. about Pinterest. <laughs> hey, you know what? Fall back on the Pinterest right now. Okay, let's. I'm about to go. You know what? You guys go ahead and talk. I'm just gonna work on my board right now. <laughs> yeah, Russell Wilson is too corny for Pinterest. He does something like, like, uh, like farmers only, like something, like something in one of those weird, like, uh, settlers of Catan dating boards. But not dating. Like I get it. He's married. He's just a corny dude, and I don't like him. <laughs> uh, That's a great it's a reason not to like him, Joe. <laughs> oh, I don't really like him. He, he is a. <laughs> His man so, is a great player, but he is a media whore. There's, there's not a camera in this town. That now, has, wait, has a how is he guy. a media whore? Like, <laughs> it helped me understand. Sneak on it, Rob. Speak ill of that man. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, I can't. It's hard for me to knock a guy who goes and spends his All Tuesdays right, at Children's so Hospital in Seattle. <laughs> right? The guy goes and spends Russell Tuesdays Wilson eats candy hospital. canes in the summer. But every time he goes to the children's hospital, there's a camera there, him documenting what he's doing with little kids. I mean, that doesn't uh, make him a that doesn't make him a, a camera whore. That just makes him oh, popular, yeah. so cameras follow him no, around. No, 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 Ru- no, no. Russell Wilson plays checkers online. <laughs> I'm here just going to over the random here's, stuff. In, so. here's, here's another example. Maybe it's not media whore, but he's a camera whore. Uh, a couple of years ago, when he started first starting uh, dating Sierra, during the bye week, he took off to Mexico with her. They took a series of cheesy photos on the beach, like almost like romantic novel type photos. Took him, had a photographer come down, take them for him, and he pushed him out. He just, he, if you're that good, you can love yourself. But he loves himself a lot more than most people do. And I don't as, a, know, uh, as a non-Seahawks fan who lives in this town, I love to hate that guy. He's great. And that's, and that's what I'm about to say. I, I love to hate I think, I think that your opinion of his attention whoring is because you hate him so much, <laughs> you know. Which is okay. Because I don't, I don't, I don't see that being any different than a lot of guys. The more popular you are, the more the media is gonna push your pictures and push all that stuff. Like 
it's no different. Lots of, lots of guys post pictures of him and his wife on a beach somewhere because they're having a great time. But because of who you're, you're never going to see what your name you're never carries, see Cooper you're, Cup. Yeah, you're, you're never going to see Cooper Cup on the beach with his wife with his shirt off. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> no, Russell that, Wilson likes Barnes mean, and Noble. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean Cooper Cup hasn't posted pictures of it. That just means the media is no, not no, pushing no. it. <laughs> you know, so that's why I say it, it is what it There's, is. But there is some truth to that because in this town, uh, that man is king, and the history of Seattle sports has one championship to its name outside of the Seahawks in 2012, 79 Sonics. So when that thing came along and they exploded onto the scene here, they, they captured the city and, and everyone in the city, doesn't matter if they like football or not, has to be a 12. It's the end thing they do. You get your picture taken at, at Century League, you put it on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and everyone says how great you are. We have Fridays before the game, they do a thing called Blue Friday and everyone dresses up in their Seahawks gear and blue and it's they rally about they've done a great job of capturing that and the king of all that is the face of the franchise Russell Wilson on the, on the team filled with superstars he's the superstar of superstars that guy he owns this town if I can find you a video last uh, last home game when they beat the Eagles after the game he goes down to the Metropolitan Grill which is uh, one of the nicer steakhouses in town again there happens to be a camera right there him and his woman come rolling in everyone's having dinner after the game they all stop. The entire restaurant gets up, gives him a round of applause. He walks through, gives them all high fives. The guy is king of this town, and he, he's earned it. He's earned it. He's what a, does Russell uh, Wilson MVP order at a steakhouse? I, Russell Wilson doesn't get a steak. He just gets a giant bowl of cream spinach. <laughs> I, think, I think he's more of a potatoes or gratin guy. <laughs> I hate Russell Wilson. Whenever, whenever you go to the Super Bowl and you do your thing and you bring the t- they bring the city their first Super Super Bowl championship and all that stuff, I think you you, you know, can do whatever right. you want. You, you you can do whatever the hell you want to do. It don't matter. <laughs> but but hey, that that that's, Russell that's, Wilson that's is a human Seattle piece of toast. They're, they're amazing. That's Seattle for you. They're amazing fans up there. You got to give them their credit for that. No matter how much okay. you get to see out there, they're legit. They're legit fans up there. You know so. If you're a man, you're going to get love and respect from them. But anyway. And I'll tell you what. So Rob, I would take his media-loving whore ass on my team any day. I mean, I would trade yeah, him yeah. for Jared Goff straight up right now. You can take Jared. Yeah, you yeah. can take anyone. Because that guy's a winner. He just wins. He wins. Absolutely. And that's why I like him. I, like, I liked him yeah. before he got to the Seahawks. He went to the Seahawks. I was disappointed. But, hey, I still like him. I still, I'm still a fan. I can't help it. Hate me or love me or don't. Russell Russell Wilson Russell. feels bad if he turns the volume up above forty percent. Uh, here goes Joe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Rob, we'll, we'll let you go. We'll let you go before we get out of here. Got anything before we let you go, man? Uh, no, I'm I'm gonna lay low this week. Uh, I kind of got into it with, with someone, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay low and send a Twitter witness protection program, so I don't get called out. Whoever you are, man, that's with my boy Rob. Fall back. You don't want to see us. You don't want these problems. <laughs> Fall back. We we can go to Twitter war all day. I'm about to get you in all trouble, man. Let me stop. <laughs> that's I'm exactly right. now. All trouble, Rob. <laughs> We'll uh, we'll just go with with uh, you know let's this, every week has been the biggest game in Rams Rams recent history and last week was the biggest game and early early on it was the Cowboys was the biggest game then it was this you know the Vikings and it was the Saints I mean, it's been well, that's the next biggest game they got to get done right we got to get it done so got to get it done. that's where I'm at with that one guy just come up here turn out all the noise let's get this thing done. 
absolutely. With that, we're going to let you go. My man, Rob, Rob, Rob Forehand, follow, make sure you follow him on Twitter, SeattleRams underscore NFL. He the man. He handles the social media. He is absolutely the Cooper Cup bandwagon fan lead driver, no, whatever you want to call him. There's no, there's no bandwagon. There's no bandwagon. He, 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 lo- he, loves, he drives the Cooper Cup fan bus daily. So make sure you give him a follow out there. Appreciate you stopping on, Robert. Right. Thanks, Dance. We'll catch you soon. Later. All right, Robert. So we have ourselves some interesting uh, questions, and you know, they, uh, I'm not going to touch on all of them too much because some of them are, uh, some of them are pretty much the same. But they touch on stuff that we talked about, like the play calling and stuff like that. So it's not an issue where it's uh, not being noticed. I think everyone's kind of noticing it. Um, our guy Dennis Dooley, uh, back from Sweden again. <laughs> you know, he says that. If you guys had Leslie's job and during the 2018 draft, who would you pick and why uh, first round, bottom 25? And shout out to his girlfriend, Madeline, who is now a Rams fan. Hey, nice. shout out to her. Well done. <laughs> way, to, way to convert her, Dennis. <laughs> What's All up? the way in what Sweden, we're going to have, have, have to have a Rams meetup in Sweden. Meet I know, up. right? You ready for that weather? Russell Wilson hates Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> Spread the word so Joe, throughout all of Sweden. <laughs> so if you're less the during the 2018 draft, who you picking? Why? I mean, it's tough. We got we got this. And we've I mentioned this a bunch of times, but <laughs> yeah, well, it's one go. of those things, right? Yeah. Is Truman Johnson on this team? Is uh, Robert Quinn on this team is Lamarcus okay, Joyner on this team. Let's make it easy for you. Tremaine Johnson They're is not back. on the team, and okay. Lamarcus Joyner is back. Robert Quinn is gone. So you you don't have Quinn, you don't have Tremaine Johnson. Go. So yeah, I mean it comes down to I, I could see cornerback and edge being the primary two needs going into the draft. Now remember we get the free agency a month before, so if we hit another Andrew Whitworth or another Kayvon Webster out of the park. Um, we'll have to see, but I, I could totally see that happen. One guy that you mentioned early on that's going to make a hell of a lot of a sense in a couple months, man, is Tavares McFadden out of Florida State. He yeah. looks like a guy that at, at this point, and it's way early, things could change. He could turn into a top ten pick once the hype machine starts turning. That could be Absolutely. somebody that I could see sitting there at the end of the first round that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, who else from the cornerbacks jumps to mind? Maybe uh, what's his name out of Iowa, Joshua Jackson that we've seen mocked to us yeah. a couple times. That's a name that we've seen. Uh, Denzel Ward out of Ohio State. He's a little bit smaller, and that's one of the things is if you talk about replacing Trumaine Johnson, are you just replacing a cornerback, or do you need that height? I mean, this is something that um, – where did I see them talking about it recently? Was that uh, Trumaine Johnson, the assignments that he gets a lot of the times, and maybe it was during the game, maybe it was the commentary during the game, was that they were talking about the assignments that Trumaine Johnson gets a lot of the time is just based on his size. It's not necessarily based on, you know, cornerback one on wide receiver one matchup. It's based on the fact that he's yeah. got the height to deal with a lot of the bigger wide receivers. So maybe in terms of replacing Trumaine Johnson, you're not just looking for, you know, the best cornerback available to, to amend the BPA idea you're maybe looking for a cornerback with size, and that's not something that Denzel Ward has. He's going to measure probably under 5'10 uh, when he measures. So maybe you're looking for somebody bigger. Uh, that guy out of San Diego State, I forget his name, but there's a cornerback out of San Diego State that's getting some plugs. 
Uh, he's six two or so. Um, or Holton Hill out of Texas, he's big. He's like six three. Um, so that could be something I see happening. Outside linebacker, we talk about Texas. Malik Jefferson, hell of an outside linebacker. Uh, Dorian O'Daniel out of Clemson. I don't. Uh, Bradley Chubb is obviously one of those guys that's gotten a lot of love, but I don't see any way that he drops all the way to us. He seems no. like uh, hell no. I think, I, yeah, I think he's locked in well before the Rams are going to pick, and that's a good problem to have, right? You don't want to pick at the beginning yeah. of the draft because that means your season went awry, and this is the first year in a hell of a long time that we don't have to think about the draft that way. Um, but we'll see. Is there is there somebody popping off to you that, as, when you read that you that, that you thought of? There is, there is. There's, there was a couple of names that came to my mind. I, I see you went with corner a lot uh, there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna actually go with the pass rush. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the pass rush yeah. and I say, hey, you know what? You, you, we got to get to the quarterback, but not just get to the quarterback. We got to be able to stop the run. You know, you can't. Like yeah. I told you before the number one rule. You ask any defensive coordinator in the NFL, the number one rule to pass rushing is you first have to stop the run. You have to earn the right to rush the pass because if you're not stopping the run, right. you don't have a pass. You don't have a pass that, that you have to rush. It's just that simple. Yeah. So I'm looking at guys like Harold Landry from Boston College or sure. a Sam Hubbard from Ohio State. Uh, those guys, sure. I think, are going to be sitting back there in the back of the first round. Or Josh Sweat, before I forget, I always forget to mention his name, from Florida State. Sweat's athletic uh, as hell, I think those man. Guys, He's athletic as hell. Absolutely. Absolutely he is. I think those guys are all going to be guys that's candidates unless they go blow up the combine, which Sweat could very much do, very well do. And uh, he blew up that combine. You, you know, We know how that goes. You blow up a combine, oh, your stock skyrockets. But here's my sleeper yeah. guy, okay? You ready for this? <laughs> You ready? You want to take a good guess what school he goes to? Oh, yeah, that's right. Mizzou. Oh Marcel Frazier. Sleeper. I haven't seen him in Missouri. I, mean, I, I, I saw one game this year. I saw one he's Mizzou a sleeper. Game year, I, think he's, I think he's a balanced uh, edge guy. You know, he's a 3-4 he's a outside linebacker. He probably could put his hand in the dirt because he, he has that uh, the frame for it. You know, he's about – Six five, six six, about two sixty. You know, uh, but he has the athleticism to stand up and play outside. But he's balanced. You know, he's a good pass rusher, and he's a, he's good at uh, get, he's good at getting stops at the line and getting tackles for loss. You know, so he has that balance to either play the run or rush the passer. Uh, do I think he's ever going to be an elite pass rusher? No. Do I think he's going to always be solid? Yes. Meaning, I think that he's that guy that can go out and get you nine sacks a season guaranteed, you know, which I'll take nine sacks over hit or miss any day. You know, I think he's a guy that's going to be nine sacks a season, going to be very good at playing the run, and he's going to make, he's going to be just a, a solid playmaker. Um, I think he's a sleeper uh, edge rusher in this upcoming draft. Marcel Frazier, to answer your I'll, I'll mark it down. Marcel Fraser, Missouri. I'll probably forget him by tomorrow. But yeah, but you don't remember him, so we we ain't gonna have to wait. I'll I'll, I'll look him up. I got to do some research on the Missouri anyway because I haven't watched enough. I got two games on tape. I need to watch soon. Now that we're getting into bowl season, uh, one position we yep. didn't mention: offensive line, man. And as much as it affected the game, exactly. I mean, we, we all remember. You go back to the Vikings game. We lose a couple cornerbacks. Troy Hill was already injured before the game, but you lose a couple cornerbacks. The depth there gets exposed. Yesterday was maybe – I mean, we, we kind of hinted at it, but we haven't really talked about a – and we threw that question out, I think it was last week, it was do we need to start thinking about it? But Andrew Whitworth is not going to be our left tackle forever, right? And, you know, John Sullivan is no young man. There's some needs on the offensive line that are going to be coming down the pipe, you know, in the years ahead. And I, I do wonder if – the best time to draft the tackle is when you got Andrew Whitworth in the building. So 
so that if you get a guy in there and he can learn from one of the best, he may not be ready for 2018, but as long as you can get another year out of Whitworth, maybe that's the play. And so you look at guys like, obviously we've and been talking I'm about okay Texas. With so that. Williams. I'm okay oh, with that, but I think you, I think you have yeah. to look at it in the, in the middle round, like the third round pick, something like that. You have to be maybe. looking for a guy then because you're talking about letting a guy sit behind him. You, you like the Rams have, if Whitworth is back next year, which I think he will be, um, Whitworth is back next year, so you have that position solidified, okay? And you can have a guy behind him learning, getting stronger, getting better, getting more physical, and soaking him, soaking up as much from Whitworth, because you know Whitworth is the type of guy that's going to take that kid under his arms and teach him everything that he sure. knows. Meanwhile, you have huge holes at pass rusher and uh, at linebacker and at uh, corner. It could be cornerback. You know, huge yeah. holes yeah. there. You know, and I think I truly believe corner is going to be the spot, the, the position that they go for in the first round, and then probably followed by edge rusher in the second. Round. After that, you're probably looking at somewhere in the trenches with the offensive line, or um, yeah. or maybe another corner. Even like I wouldn't be surprised to see them double dip early. So sure. it's going to be interesting, you know. But the thing to remember is the Rams do not have a second round pick. Everyone right. has to keep that in mind. So it's good that, that first pick is going to be very, 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 very vital uh, to see how they do, to see how they use it. They could always trade down. We can never forget the possibility of that with less need. Um, so with Sebastian Butner, you know Sebastian, he asks. I promise he throws a question out every week. I appreciate you so much, Sebastian, for always tuning in and always throwing out questions, keeping the show going. Uh, Sebastian Butner. Uh, he says, with Woods out, Joe. I know you're going to love this question, so I'm going to throw it to you. With Woods out. And the offense still doing a good job. Do you think the Rams have Watkins a high priority for resigning? It looks like Woods, Cup, uh, Cooper, or Reynolds could be enough for 2018. And that, I mean, so that's, do you, credits. So do you think Sebastian, he's, he's working for the show even when he's not. He knew exactly how to segue <laughs> that segment. Maybe that's the play, right, is, is, is to replace – you talked about the idea of getting a depth uh, – you know, young tackle, third round, fourth round to, to lean behind Andrew Wetworth, maybe that's where the first round pick leans into as a playmaker, a wide receiver. I really don't like this class um, in terms of wide no. receivers, but a lot of people like the 2017 class. And look how okay, Cooper Cup is running away with, you know, the, the rookie wide receiver award. And it's not even close. And he was, what, the seventh wide receiver taken? It's just It just has not yeah. panned out this year. So it's one of those things. Maybe somebody comes through, uh, you know, over the draft period from February into March and starts gaining a lot of attention that, you know, we look at and say, okay, maybe it's not worth it to sign Sammy Watkins to a deal because you can go out and grab, you know, maybe it's James Washington. At I know you like that Oklahoma State offense or, you know, Marcel Aitman or – I don't know, the, uh, Anthony Miller out of Memphis. He had that huge game against UCF in the, the championship, the conference championship. So <laughs> I could see that being a play that makes sense. The, the good thing is th- these are all first-word problems, right, where we're talking about, hey, we're already winning this many games and we don't have a functional pass rush. We're already winning this many games and we don't have the top-of-the-depth chart wide receiver who can also match it with production. These are good problems to have. Yeah, absolutely, and – that's why I say that when it comes to uh, Sammy Watkins, I'm okay with letting him leave. The only issue I have with it is the fact that you gave up a second-round pick for something that yeah. you already had on the team. In my personal opinion, I believe you could have used Josh Reynolds or Mike Thomas in the same role that you used Sammy Watkins in. You know, so 
that's my issue because he didn't do diddly squat, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's like you could you could have used somebody else. You you could have used Tavon Austin to just run deep and draw attention from someone else. We've we've seen him do it this year in very small sure. limited spots, but. When he goes deep, you see safeties take off running with him, and the corner runs with him where he's opened it up for Cooper Cup underneath, where he's even opened it up for Sammy Watkins underneath. You know, So it's like I think that uh, the only issue that I would have with it is that you gave up a second-round pick for him. But, hey, whatever, I'm not sure. interested in throwing a bo- uh, truckload of cash at him just because you threw because you wasted a second round pick like that was a stupid trade in my opinion i'm gonna keep saying it i've been saying it not stop i'm gonna keep saying it it was a stupid trade but it is what it is i guess now so moving on i guess <laughs> yeah but I, I was gonna say I, I the only the only thing that that makes the wide receiver calculus interesting is whether it's sammy watkins or robert woods or andrew whitworth or john sullivan or Tavon webster and nickel roby coleman these are all guys that the Rams brought on in free agency, right, that they didn't have to draft. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to plug some of these holes before we even get to the draft. The problem for wide receiver is I don't know that there's a guy out there. You know, Sammy Watkins is 24 years old. There's nobody of his talent at that young who's going to come on the market. The only one that might be close, and this is one of those arguments, is Terrell Pryor, and if you think he can be that guy. But we'll see. It's going to, it's going to we'll be see. a wild offseason, man. And here's the thing. It's going to be an off-season coming after a winning record. Regardless of how this year plays out, we're going into 2018 with a winning record, with a functional team, with the coach of the year. I'd be shocked if he doesn't win coach of the year. And a team that's turned it around in year one under Sean McVay. So the off-season is going to be something to build on something rather than fix something where we've been kind of stuck in a rut for the last 14 years. Absolutely. Joe, what you got for us for college football? It's bowl season. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's bowl season, right? We're done. You had Army, Navy cap off the game in beautiful style, you know, the the, the pageantry of that game. And I think it's fitting. It, it's one of the things that makes college football great is it? it's not even about really the football, especially when you watch their offenses. Did you watch this game at all? Do you ever watch Army, Navy? I did not watch the game. Uh, I have watched it in years past. I do know that this is the first time, I think since 1995, that one of the teams won back-to-back years. So, that tells you yeah. how balanced this game is, how it goes back and forth. So the history of it is well, it's pretty thick. It's just one of those things where both teams quite hate the past. It's almost as if the past is some relic of a communist, you know, enemy from, year, from years past, and the Department <laughs> of Defense has decided the forward pass will not be engaged under any circumstances. Right. And, and, and so it's one of those things that just feels very, very college and it's a perfect way to end the regular season. What's great about this now is kind of what we talked about, the idea of the Jared Goff window, the Sammy Watkins window. This is the window, right? Bowl games. Bowl games are when people who shine brightest really put their name on the map. And even in the lesser bowl games, and, of course, which bowl game kicks them all off? Yeah, of course it had to be North Tech. Of course we were going to go first. We talked about this damn team all year. By the way, you talked about drafting somebody, somebody from Missouri. Do not draft anybody from North Texas. Let's not make that mistake. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say that. <laughs> we we know how you feel about your North Texas team. University of I North love them. Hey, you know. You love know my boys, but. <laughs> Quinky Dink, actually. Quinky um, Dink. I just said that on air. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I feel like you're going to be judging me something crazy for the rest of the oh, night. Man. Like, this fool this food talking about Pinterest and stuff, but the interesting thing about it, the Quinky Dink is the person that got me 
hip to Pinterest went to the University of North Texas. <laughs> you know, it's a mean green world, and we're all just living in there it. There it is. Lance Dunbar in the MFing house. No, here's the, here's the thing that's going to be fun, and obviously we got a little bit before bowl season really gets going because it's only, you know, December 11th as we take this. What, what's going to be wild with bowl season is that, you know, everything's leading up to a playoff that's going to be um, front and center. But this draft, maybe more than anybody, any in recent memory, feels really unsettled at the top. I have n- I have no clue how the front of this draft is going to go. And I, I, I really think you could make a case that the bowl games are going to impact this draft more than recent years. And part of that is just the way the game's developing. And you got so many guys that are, you know, the, the recruiting has gotten so top heavy that you're getting guys that red shirt and don't start and then start one or two years and then come to the league. So not like Aaron Donald that develops over time in a program like Pitt or like a Bradley Chubb, somebody in North Carolina State that gets plenty of time and plenty of season, you're getting guys, you know, like Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen that come in, get in, and get done. Or, you know, Roquan Smith that sat behind guys for a little bit and had to get in front. Or Minka Fitzpatrick, who to me is maybe, if you're looking for best player available, he might be the best football player in the draft. But I don't know where he's going to go. Lamar Jackson, is he a first-round quarter? I have no clue. This draft's going to be nuts, man. Yeah, it's the the unknown. That's what makes the draft the most exciting is when you don't know. But that's all we got for this week. Um, Make sure that we're tuning into the game. The Rams face the Seahawks. We know how this game goes year in, year out. It's always a battle. (laughs) It's always something that happens. There's always a play where you're just like, what? Like, literally, there's always a play in the game. This, This year, the first game, it was the tie girly from on the, the pylon. You know, there's always a play that leaves you in awe. So we all got to make sure we're tuning in. Um, they're playing in Seattle. Uh, that is at what time, Joe? Because, you know, I've been messing up my coast times for some reason. 4, 425 Eastern. What time the game is? Yeah, 425. My coast times for some reason. I keep getting them backwards. 425 <laughs> Eastern time <laughs> and uh, 125 or – uh, the Pacific Standard Time, 325 Central Standard Time. There we go. I had to think about it. I don't know. That's three weeks in a row I messed up the uh, time, and I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm losing it. Too much. Need more sleep. But anyway, make sure we're tuning in to the game. Make sure you follow the site at Turf Show Times. Follow myself at Mighty or Mison, as well as follow Joe, 3K underscore again. Thanks to Rob, Seattle, Seattle Rams underscore NFL. That's all we got for this week, and we holler at you. We out.
like my shooter. I come from the end, looking for the sack. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it. Oh, man, Russell Wilson definitely eats Miracle Whip. And I, I don't mean he puts it on a sandwich or anything or that he b- puts it in the chicken salad. Russell Wilson just serves a bowl of Miracle Whip and eats it with his hands. It's disgusting. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.